Run the Film is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The Raiders take on the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. Arrowhead is known as one of the toughest environments to play, so if you're a Raider fan, make sure you get tickets to those games. Do your part in quieting that crowd and be there for a very pivotal matchup for the Raiders. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Week 13, week 13, week 13 is now upon us. Welcome to the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Kirk Morrison. He's Ted Nguyen, and this is Run the Film. Week 13 is now here, Ted, and I look, i am got so much that I want to talk about from week number 12 because it was some upsets. It was some games that probably went the other way than people may have thought, but then there was also some performances that, man, we just have to highlight throughout the day. But I think before we start today's podcast, uh, if as we look at the playoff picture, right, because now it starts to crystallize a little bit. Guess what? We're in December, right? December is right around the corner um, for us. And when December football comes, we know that the playoffs are getting closer and closer. So right now, Ted, as it sits heading into week 13, this is the playoff scenario in the AFC. You have the New England Patriots, Baltimore Ravens, Houston Texans, Kansas City Chiefs are your four division leaders at currently, and the two wild card teams, Buffalo and Pittsburgh. And so I think we should just start right there with the AFC and that playoff scenario. Do you think that this holds pat, or do we still see some movement possibly uh, within the AFC? Oh, I think we'll definitely see some movement within the AFC. Uh, I mean, this week alone, we have the Raiders playing the Chiefs in Kansas City. That'll be a tough game for the Raiders, but they have a chance to take the division lead if they end up winning that game. Um, so that you have that. And then on the, in the AFC, you have f- one, two, three, four, four teams that are six and five vying for that last wildcard spot. So there, there's a lot up to grabs uh for these uh, last as the season winds down so uh definitely don't see this as the final uh playoff picture just yet yeah i I think if we just look at the top though i feel like new england by far and away um is the best team in the afc um but you look at the number two team currently in the afc the baltimore ravens who actually handed the new england patriots their only loss of the season and so those two teams, to me, look like they're going to get the first round by, right? New England and Baltimore. I don't know if Kansas City can make up that two game um, or even Houston, the two games behind Baltimore where they're at, sitting at right now. But I think Houston right now is kind of in the driver's seat when you look at the AFC South with their big win a week ago. 
Eric Ebron out for the Indianapolis Colts, possibly out for the year. I think he is out for the year. Um, and then when you just look at the Tennessee Titans, you know, those other teams within that AFC South, we could get a little movement, but I'm still banking on Houston. Now, the team that no one talks about, Ted, and I don't know how much you get a chance to just sit back and watch them because no, I feel like nobody watches them. It's my former team in the NFL. It's the Buffalo Bills. And they're at eight and three. And if anybody else is eight and three, you're like, wow, like, let me just throw some eight and three teams at you. Minnesota Vikings, Green Bay Packers. All right. And then you throw the Buffalo Bills and there's like, really? Like Buffalo? Are they good? Or like, but what have you seen from Buffalo? Yeah, I think they get disrespected a little too much. There's people calling yes. them the worst eight and three team uh, <laughs> of all time. I'm like, no, but they have the ingredients to be uh, to to actually make a little bit of a playoff run if they get there. I mean, I mean, right now they're in a driver's seat for that uh, wild card spot. Uh, but I mean, if you anytime you have an elite defense and they they have you know, and they have just enough on offense. To- yeah, I think they have a chance as well. And one of the reasons why. I really believe this, Ted. I think, like you mentioned, when you got elite defense and when you got a quarterback who, to me, I know he's still learning, but they don't put the ball in his hands like long enough for him to make the huge mistakes. This still is an offense and with Brian Dayball, who is, to me, you know, running it and still getting the little bit by little bit from Josh Allen. And I think the more that you see that, that's how this team is going to continue to grow because it's really all about their running game and their defense, special teams as well. And we know that the New England's going to be the cream of the crop of the AFC East division. But I like the way that Buffalo plays football. But I think moving forward, do you give them a chance when they get to the playoffs? I don't know if they have enough dynamics yet, right, um, from the wide receiver position. But for me, they have like the, the formula to get to the playoffs, which is a strong defense. And to me, a great special teams. Yeah, it'll depend on who they get matched up against. Um, obviously, if they get matched up against uh, you know, a team like New England or the Ravens, I, I don't know if they have enough on offense to to beat them. But um, it, it they 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 anytime you have a defense that plays as good as they do, and people don't talk about their, enough about their defense, uh, they they have a chance to 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 win a game. So. Um, I'm not disrespecting the Buffalo Bills. I, I think they, they should get more credit than, than they, they're getting right now. Well, I think, you know, before we head over to the NFC, um, when you look at another team out of right now, the AFC, it's the team that holds the sixth spot right now currently with the wild card, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers, who last week they benched their starting quarterback, Mason Rudolph, who we know has already been through a, a crazy couple of weeks already, you know, with the situation with Miles Garrett just a couple of weeks ago. But to see a guy like Mason Rudolph benched in favor of Devlin Hodges, who actually helped out and they came in and they won the game against a uh, Cincinnati Bengals team that has not won, that is still winless. But I'm looking at where this Pittsburgh team is at right now, and then they may be done with Mason Rudolph. And I know it was mentioned. Some people say, okay, you can go back to him. But I don't see this team now making the playoffs if they don't have that, just the adequate quarterback play. Because that's, I think they're similar to Buffalo in terms of, you know, special teams-wise, I think that they're solid. Defense, I think, has played well this year. But if you're not getting anything from the quarterback position, 
I mean, that's that's a recipe for disaster. That's right where I think Pittsburgh sits at. So as it sits right now, I don't think Pittsburgh's probably going to make the playoffs this year, Ted. Yeah, I mean, well, right now that they, they have a wild card spot, but I agree with you. Uh, they are similar to the Bills, but the Bills have stability at the quarterback position at least. I, you know, Josh Allen still has his problems, but the Steelers just they're so beat up offensively and on top, and they just don't have any type of stability. When Rudolph was in, he was just so erratic. And Devin Hodges is probably a safer quarterback, but um, he's not, he's not going to do a lot to help you move the ball. So yeah, right. So even though the Pittsburgh are six and five and they have that wild card spot, I think just uh, uh, instability at the quarterback position is going to uh, really get them to get knocked out of the playoff spot eventually. As we shift over to, I think, the uh, conference that is just kind of, I won't call it wide open, but it's the most interesting of the two, right? The NFC. Because, honestly, I think we can make a case for the teams currently sitting in the six spots right now for the playoffs. We can make a case for all of them making a conference championship game. Like, there is a case to be said for all of them. And right now, currently, the number one seed in the NFC goes to the San Francisco 49ers. The number two seed, the New Orleans Saints right now currently. Green Bay, they're at three as a division leader in the NFC North. The Dallas Cowboys, leaders in the NFC East, they're at uh, the fourth spot. And then the two wild cards right now who actually meet on Monday night, which would be fun, next Monday night, which would be fun, which is the Seattle Seahawks and the Minnesota Vikings at five and six. Ted, this is one is a little bit different because I think with the 49ers win last week against the Green Bay Packers, it just keeps setting themselves up for a potential, you know, a, a first round by road through the through San Francisco. Is how you're going to get to Super Bowl 54. And so I look at where they're at right now, but they've got some games over the next couple weeks that just I'm, I'm sorry, Ted. I love the, the way that they've played so far, but man. I don't want to jump all in just yet because I want to see how they go against these next couple teams. Like these are some juggernauts that they have to go up against. They're going against uh, the New Orleans Saints, right? They're going against the Baltimore Ravens this week, which we'll be previewing a little bit later in the show. But it's it's those types of games that really can say, you know what? If they get through this gauntlet of teams that they've had to play against, Green Bay, Baltimore. And then also the Saints, if they can get through that gauntlet and they play well, even if they lose a game or two, if they play well, it's like, all right, they're they're legit. And I think people are just trying to see how legit are they, Ted. And I'm still kind of up in arms. Like, I don't know yet. I really am. Even with that performance against Green Bay the other day. Well, they, they started off that three-game road trip with a bang. I mean, I did not think they were going to blow Green Bay out of the water like they did. Uh, I thought they were going to win, but I, I didn't think that – it was going to be that dominant of a, a, a performance against the Packers. So it, they definitely uh, silenced some of the questions I had about them coming in. But like you said, there's still more um, still more to be said. I, I don't know if there's too much you could take away from um, the Niners-Ravens games just because, you know, what the, what the Ravens are doing right now, it's just so ridiculous that it – it just seems like an offense that's impossible to prepare for. So uh, I would not grade them too harshly for if they lose to the Ravens. But I think the real marker game will be 
uh, when they play the uh, the Saints because they could potentially see the Saints again in the playoffs. And and to me, the Saints are uh, the to me they are definitely in the running as one of the top teams uh, in the NFC. Yeah, and they have that pedigree, right? They they've been there before. They were they were there last year, <laughs> and probably uh, you know if it wasn't for the crazy call. Uh, the non-pass interference call, I should say, the New Orleans Saints could have been in last year's Super Bowl playing against the the uh, New New England Patriots. But for right now, um, I think you know San Francisco has kind of definitely separated themselves. Uh, New Orleans again, they've separated themselves a last-second field goal win for them last week uh, versus the Panthers. Uh, they continue to play well, you know, year in and year out. And this year is a little bit different with Michael Thomas just is on fire, right? No Mark Ingram, but yet the running game has still uh, been amazing. Jared Cook comes over from the Raiders, and they literally don't miss a beat. But I think it's these other middle teams now that I'm trying to figure out which one can push through because I like the Dallas Cowboys. I really do, but I like them when they play at home. Them Dallas Cowboys on the road, I don't know, Ted. It's, it's something about them that it's like you just you want to be all in, but then I don't know what their true identity is sometime from game to game. Is it Zeke? Is it Dak? Amari Cooper was shut out last week. It's just a lot, a lot of, of things that I don't that I, I like about the Cowboys and then I don't like. But I think the sleeper team has been Minnesota. I've always felt that Minnesota was a quarterback away. And I think Kirk Cousins – has been playing lights out. The defense is playing lights out. But a game against Seattle this week would definitely go a little bit further into how I feel about them. But it's crazy to think that they could still win the division and then push the Green Bay Packers as a wild card team, which I think nobody still wants to play Aaron Rodgers in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. You know, you said you could make a case for every team to, to make the championship yeah, team. But do you, do you really believe in, in the Cowboys? They just, they just seem so erratic as a, as a team uh you know one week they look like they are just world beaters and they're, they're firing all cylinders and next week they just look like they they can't get it together um and it, we'll, we'll talk about the cowboys patriots game uh next but uh there's a lot of good nfc teams and you know then you have the dallas cowboys sitting there at six to five but they're on top of their division just because um the nfc East just isn't very um, strong this year. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The New York Giants and the Washington Redskins both are at the bottom of the division at two and nine in the NFC East. Uh, Philadelphia is still going through some problems as well. They're sitting at five and six. And to me, I think the playoffs will be made up by these six teams. I don't think I see much movement here, Ted. Whereas like the, the AFC, we can definitely see some movement. Like you mentioned, the Tennessee, Indianapolis, the Raiders, all those teams are you know, pretty much tied and are still in the hunt. You still got Cleveland, who's won some games in a row. So there are some teams that can creep in there. But when I look at the NFC, I almost feel like their playoffs are already set. It's just going to come down to seeding in the NFC just because, um, you know, the Rams, uh, just they, they're not the same team they were a year ago. Chicago, they don't know what kind of performance they get out of Mr. Trubisky from week to week. Um, and then the Carolina Panthers, you know, that, uh, that magic of Kyle Allen, it's kind of it's kind of dusted off now. It's kind of done with a little bit. So I I don't see anybody else kind of breaking through with what's going on in the NFC. Yeah, yeah, and all if you look at all those records, they're so good right now that 
I, I think uh, you're right. I think that's going to be the the playoff picture, and we might see some changes in in seeding. I mean, the top three teams are ten and one, nine and two, eight and three, all separated by one or two games. So we we can see some some seeding game change. And like we mentioned, San Francisco has a pretty tough part of their schedule coming up. Well, before we preview week number thirteen in the NFL, um, I take this time right now to to just apologize um, to the listeners out there um, because, you know, the first 12 weeks of the season, I really believed uh, in my heart that Russell Wilson was the MVP of the National Football League. I just, just the way that he played, this, this the consistency each and every single week. And that's what I was believed in my heart until I sat at the Los Angeles Coliseum on Monday night and got a chance to see Lamar Jackson live and in person and just watch him. And to me, Ted, there is no doubt that Lamar Jackson is the uh, is, is the NFL's MVP for this season. He is by far and away the, the best player um, I've seen in a long time. And when I say that, you had the reigning NFL's defensive player of the year on the field last night. And yet no one even heard from him because Lamar Jackson was just on a different planet playing with 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 it almost seemed like a man, a man amongst boys at times. So I just want to take this time to apologize for everybody who were um, I was talking Russell Wilson up and clearly now my MVP to lose and I don't see him losing it is Lamar Jackson. Yeah. So Lamar Jackson is just he's gotten progressively better as the season has gone along. And this offense has gotten to a point where it's just, you, you don't know how to stop it. I mean, you can't prepare for this offense in one week because there's nothing like it in the NFL. Uh, there's team running some read options, but they just don't have all the wrinkles that the Ravens do. Uh, and they don't have a guy that could run uh, possibly, you know, we talked a little bit about it before that we started this podcast, but Lamar Jackson might possibly be, uh, a guy that runs a 4-2-40 and he, he didn't run it he didn't <laughs> run it at the combine so it's become like this mystical um thing that people wonder about and talk about uh but he he's a guy that could might be able to run a 4-2 so he could get get away from anybody at the same time he's also not scared to run it up the middle and and hit people so he could really uh run every type of option there is and his his passing just got has gotten so much better uh, especially when he gets to the high red zone around the 20-yard the line. He just throws strikes into the end zone. Uh, so I just don't see – I don't know how you stop this offense right now. So I'm, I'm excited to see what Robert Salad and Niners game plan against uh, against them. But I just it, I, I just don't know how you stop this offense in a, with one week of preparation. Yeah, that's going to be fun, trying to figure it all out. You know, that's just going to be – uh, it's a chess match, right? You're like, can we hurry up and start week 13 right away? But, you know, just going back to what you had mentioned there is that I think that's something that uh, Lamar Jackson, when you just just realize that he did not run the 40 at the combine and by him not running the 40 at the combine, I really think it is a mystery around the National Football League. And I could tell you this as a player, every time we got into like Tuesday or Wednesday, Ted, that was what we had our we would get our game books, right? Our playbooks for the week. And when you get into the playbook for the week, you look through your scouting report, right? And so there will probably be a you know a, a couple of paragraphs about Lamar Jackson, hey, former Heisman winner, I mean, well, a Heisman winner at Louisville, 
uh, rushed for this many yards, threw for this many yards at the combine. These were his numbers. And you always look at, okay, what's his 40 speed? And you would say, okay, there it is. I can see it. But with him not running the 40, it really has, like, it's it's crazy that you don't know how fast he is. You just don't know until he's running by you on the field. Because I think people, you watch the speed on TV, and I said it just doesn't do it any justice until you're watching it literally live and in person and watch how everybody seems to be running in slow motion, and yet he's got this burst and he's got this gear that no one else on the field has, Ted. And I think that's where, you know, the the mystery of his 40, it really, to me, is something because you don't know how fast he is. And if I'm a guy coming out in this year's draft, uh, you know, a quarterback prospect, or even a running back prospect. Do we need to see how fast some of these guys are? We put a time on them, and you know. But when you're just that gifted and that fast, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I may not have to go out and run a 40 and just let everybody guess. Yeah, and I think part of that was because he didn't want to get um, that – or he didn't want to get labeled as an athlete and have people talk about him moving positions more. Uh, he wanted to play quarterback, and obviously, he made the right decision. And now he looks like the the, the most dangerous weapon in the NFL right now. And I do agree. I think that he's done enough to uh, really put himself ahead of this MVP conversation. And if he has a big game against the the Niners uh, defense, then I think he's really going to solidify himself as the MVP. Yeah, he's doing it on, on another this time, not a national stage because the game is going to be early. Um, next uh, on um, next Sunday for uh, week number 13. So it's going to be kind of funny. To, to everybody's going to be glued in trying to watch just one game. But that that's the uh, that that's kind of our recap of, of week number 12 in, in terms of just looking at, uh, you know, the playoff scenarios as we head into week 13. But now recapping some of the games that we saw in week number 12 and I think we can start here, Ted, in terms of the game of the week was obviously the Dallas Cowboys traveling to New England to take on the Patriots. I think every team develops, you know, at different times and so forth. You know, I think we just take the challenges as they come and uh, try to do the best we can. So it was a great win. They're a good football team. And, uh, you know, happy we came away with more points than them. And everybody wanted to see where this Dallas Cowboys team was at. Because when you looked at or when you put the talent uh, that the Cowboys have out there against the pe- talent of the Patriots, I would think the Dallas Cowboys are a more talented team, right? I would think that the the quarterback situation is almost comparable because I like Dak Prescott and the way that he's played this year. And Tom Brady, let's be honest, has not been Tom Brady-like. It has not been himself, yet they win games. He can take over in moments, but it just hasn't been that consistent play from Tom Brady. Now, that could be, cons- uh, you know, offensives, um, you know, conceptually, probably not for them, um, a situation where they need Tom to be great every single game or need him for throw for 300. But it was just to me that when you looked at it on paper, that this game was going to be a lot closer and than what we, we got. I mean, it was still a close game. But at the same time, a 13-9 score and yet I felt that the Patriots dominated from beginning to end, that the score really wasn't indicative on how well the Patriots played and how they just suffocated that Dallas Cowboys offense. Yeah, it's really amazing to watch um, the Patriots play man defense. And 
Uh, mm. Yeah. The, the the Cowboys are trying to go in bunch formations, you stack alignments and all those things. Um, but they 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 were still able to lock on their guys. They recognize routes coming out. Uh, Stephen Gilmore is just he's playing at a whole another level right now. That um, he's I, I I think I saw a stat he hasn't allowed a completion in three weeks. Like that that's insane. Wow. You're just playing <laughs> you're playing straight man coverage and you haven't allowed a, a completion in three weeks. He shut down Amari Cooper. Um, and yeah, they're just playing, they're just playing on a whole, uh, another level right now. But even then the, the Cowboys had their chances, but obviously Dak had a lot of trouble, uh, gripping the ball, especially in the first half, uh, with experimenting with gloves. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I know Gronkowski had his whole like spiel about the, the the, the Cowboys practicing indoors, but, uh, they actually practiced outdoors this, this week to try to prepare for the game. But they didn't prepare for the rain, I don't think. Um, right. So uh, the wet football. Exactly, <laughs> and that's a big problem. I mean, and they just they they weren't prepared. Dak couldn't grip the ball. Uh, the receivers couldn't catch the ball. And you, you know, in New England, they're probably like playing with some wet footballs to to get them ready. Uh, and I think that was the difference. It's just one team was prepared for the bad weather, and the other team uh, just wasn't. It took them too long to adjust, and they and they couldn't pull it out. Well, though, I think the harder part is that you, you're trying to figure out, you know, honestly, you know, when it comes down the stretch, who are you going to go to? All right, is this Dak's team or is this Zeke's team? And to me, this has to be Dak's team. He's got to be able to, to, to handle environments like this and get the ball to some of his playmakers. Um, Amari Cooper had zero catches last week. Zero uh, on two targets. Now you mentioned Stephon Gilmore. He, and he's one of the best corners in the league, if not the best corner in the league. But when you look at just the Dallas Cowboys, for them not to score a touchdown, it was three field goals by Brett Maher, and that was it. They could not get the ball into the end zone. They had chances, but it just didn't work out for them. And so I think the bigger thing here for me, Ted, now is that as they continue to move forward, the Dallas Cowboys. Is to me is how much are we just going to say, you know what, if we got Zeke, this is what we're going to do. Or, you know what, we're going to run it through a guy like Dak Prescott. I want to see Dak Prescott run the ball more with his legs, especially in a game like last last week when he, there was some rain, right? Get, you can you know, get out of the pocket, do some things on the run. But that's more probably his offensive coordinator and, and Kellen Moore just allowing him to – I mean, not necessarily allowing him to get out and be more of a playmaker – I think sometimes you got to let his athleticism and ability take over. And I think that's where you can see some some increased performance in a big game like this. But hats off again to New England. They just played a, a great game. I mean, they did what they're supposed to do. They had clutch, you know, catches when they needed them. Uh, they got, you know, they, they were, to me, I thought, um, a, a team that offensively they've got some struggles, but defensively, they're they're elite, and that's where what's got them at sitting at ten and one. Yeah, and that was a great point about um, the Cowboys needing to use Dak's legs more. And I, um, it, when you start running more read option stuff, it's tougher on a defense, and it helps out Ezekiel Elliott because you take a guy out of the box because they have to account for the the quarterback. But especially in a game like this, you know where it, it's hard to pass the ball, you 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 have to use Dak's legs more and. You, you don't have to be what do what the Baltimore Ravens are doing, but if you incorporate some of that in your 
your offense it just makes things a little bit easier for everybody and it, it's in their offense we, we've seen them do it before so definitely that's a good point that they, they should have done it more uh but well, what do you think about um jerry jones comments after the game about the cowboys being thoroughly out coached like as a player when you when you hear your owner talking like that what would be in your mind wow i would say first of all like how do we fix that problem right um i do believe that they got out coached but i'm saying that's the master right isn't bill belichick the master head coach like how many guys can say to go stand toe-to-toe with bill belichick and say i out coached bill very rarely do we see that right this team is always the new england patriots are always a step ahead of what you present to them and so when i hear jerry jones saying that a little bit to me that's that's a tough pill to swallow if i'm if i'm jason garrett because anytime you refer to coaching it should be a quick, you know, couple sentences of, you know what, so I have total confidence in what we're doing. You know what, these guys are getting getting everybody ready to go. We got to make some more plays, but you don't have to throw guys under the bus uh, to me. That's not what the owner should be talking about is, is you know, being out coach. You just say that it was a tough game for us and move on because now the rumors are already being set and now – you know, national media starts to get a hold of it, and then the players have to answer those questions. So all Jerry Jones did, Ted, was create a distraction that this team just didn't need. Yeah, and they're in the playoff hunt too. So, you know, it's like you could worry about the stuff after the season or uh, behind closed doors, but, you know, your, your team's in the playoff hunt. They're on top of your division. And, like, when you say this stuff, it just it's just unnecessary. And for me, I think if I was a player, I might – you know, if I had little faith in Garrett or I'm losing faith in Garrett already, this is kind of like the nail of the coffin. And it's just, I don't see any benefit from um, make those comments. So just uh, a little, the Cowboys are a little bit of a mess right now. Yeah, they're a little bit of a mess. And I think what happens too um, is that when guys like Amari Cooper don't get a catch, right? But that's what New England does. They take away your best wide receiver and they force you to go to your second and third options. Look, Randall Cobb had, you know, four catches. Michael Gallup, four catches as well. Those two guys, you know, production was up. But, you know, if you don't have the guy on the outside making plays, then the guys on the inside have to make plays, which they did. But but how much is Amari Cooper or how much does he mean to that Dallas Cowboys team? And a lot of this stuff, I think – could it also be because of contract hit? Like these guys are worried about the contract, the next contract they're gonna get. Like that's why a lot of teams sign players early so that they don't have to worry about it. They never have to sit down and um and say and, and question should I be playing or should I not? That this team is gonna take care of me, and I think that's you know something to be to be said for uh, a guy like you know Mari Cooper. Like I'm trying to get paid. Let's pay these guys, and that's what I think is starting to. You're starting to hear it now a little bit, whether it's going to be from a new head coach or someone or they're keeping Jason Garrett. But something's going to happen with Dallas, if not before the season, definitely when the season's over. As we uh, move to our next game, and this was, I thought, kind of like my game of the week. I know people were excited about, you know, Cowboys and Patriots, but it didn't necessarily directly affect uh, any of those teams because, you know, it was NFC, AFC. I'm more worried about these inter-conference games. And the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers presented 
uh, you know, kind of a scenario that could these two teams be previewing the NFC championship game? You know, George, he's awesome, man. He just, the energy he brings on the sideline, getting guys involved, getting guys talking, in the huddle even. I mean, it's just, it's little things like that. And then obviously what he, you guys see what he does on the field. It's just, I mean, I throw him a two-yard route and he takes it for whatever, 20, 30 yards, runs a great route, scores a touchdown. It's just, it's all the little things that he does, though, that go so unnoticed. But also, too, you're saying it's finally another test for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, you beat, you know, obviously the Arizona Cardinals a week before. And, yeah, you've beaten teams throughout. But you haven't really beaten up on the winning teams. You haven't really beat up on, on teams that are or have championship goals and aspirations. That's what I thought, right? San Francisco completely dominated, Ted. And when I say dominated, it was bad. Really, really bad because they just didn't have – I mean, Green Bay just looked like they were just lethargic. They were sleepwalking. And that's not an excuse because the San Francisco 49ers, they came to play, and it was fun to watch them as they handled and just drove the ball up and down the field. It was unreal. Yeah, and and that defense just completely – that defensive line just dominated the the Packers' uh, offensive line. I I, I forget how many pressures they had, but I think it was over 10 pressures – uh, they were in Aaron Rodgers' face all day. They stopped the run. They they shut down the run. DJ Jones, this guy, you know, everybody knows about Nick Bosa. Everybody knows about D Ford, who he didn't play the game, but uh, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, but DJ Jones, I don't know where he came from, but he 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 dominated the the Packers as far as um, the run game too. Akilah Witherspoon, who who has been injured. Uh, got back into the lineup and he looked really good. Had a couple of really nice plays against uh, Devonte Adams. Uh, so, so right now that that defense is legit and and the offense is um, they're playing better. They're getting their guys back. Completely different team with um, George Kittle in there, who had a, a big day in the rec- receiving game and also helped out in, in run blocking. Kyle Uzcheck looks like he's back to his old self. Um, so th- this is a this is a dangerous Niners team who have an elite defense and even though people may not really buy into Jimmy Garoppolo yet it's hard to deny that their their offense is an explosive one and when you combine those two things you, you, they they have a they have a chance to uh to beat any team in the league and they they're definitely a, a, to me I think they're a championship contender I know you're not completely sold on them yet but after this Green Bay game, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just you know I was I was really impressed with what they did they've done. Yeah, I, I think what I'm more impressed at it, and I know he probably won't get any votes, but I think George Kittle. We should at least have the conversation about him as an MVP um, because we saw what the offense looked like without George Kittle, and we seen we saw what it looked like uh, with George Kittle last Sunday night. And what it looks like is completely wide open. And everyone asks me, how does a guy get that wide open? Well, obviously, it's some scheme. Um, and you run the football effectively, you know, with Tevin Coleman and, and uh, Rasheem Mostert. But you still have to have a tight end that can do some things that are special. That's what George Kittle has shown me. Like, he just gets back in there and he gets the one-on-one with the tight end. I mean, we start with the safety. He makes a catch, makes a guy miss, and then he's off to the races for a touchdown. Like, I didn't think his presence would be felt like that much when he was gone, but you could just tell this is a different offense when George Kittle is back there in the huddle than when he's not. Yeah, it changes the way defenses play play the Niners. 
Um, they have to give extra attention to Kittle and, and some of some of the things they defenses have to do to to account for Kittle is is pretty significant. They have to put two guys over there. They they can't just single uh, single cover him. I, I've seen him get triple team, uh, but he's he also makes a huge impact in the, in the run game as well. They they really especially for an outside zone team that wants to get on an edge. Uh, they they need him to dominate that that edge, and they just didn't have that while he was gone. Uh, but you can you see how much more effective the run game is with uh, with Kittle back in there. Uh, are you are you at all concerned with the uh, the Packers and, and their offense? Yeah, I am. I'm I'm concerned that you know for me that uh, that Aaron Rodgers didn't play well, and you know a lot of the criticisms are gonna say, well, his offensive line and this this and that. But you know I'm used to Aaron Rodgers you know, throwing for 300 yards in his sleep. And when you go 20 of 33 for 104 and one touchdown, you're starting to, you know, scratch your head a little bit because Aaron Rodgers, we've come accustomed to him making the plays, maybe not even having, um, you know, the kind of the best protection or the right protection, yet he still found a way. And so now I don't see that same um I, I don't that, that same consistency, right? I, I think he's a consistent quarterback, but when you don't have it going early, where's the consistency of saying, okay, well, I can go to this or I can go to that? I don't know what he can fall back to because so much of their offense is predicated on he and what he does. And I thought that's going to be a, that that's what was the, the difficult part in watching on Sunday, that they didn't have another pitch. It was the fastball, fastball, fastball. And then when Rodgers went out, it was like, uh oh, it's over. And I think that's something that they have to really, really think about right now in Green Bay is that how do we still get the production, you know, from our guys who may, you know, be in some rough situations like Aaron Rodgers was in. Yeah, and I felt like this was a, the coaching matchup as far as uh, Shanahan LaFleur. I, I thought LaFleur was thoroughly out out coached. Um, yeah, if people don't know, uh, Lafleur coached under uh, Shanahan when they were in Atlanta, so he's kind of his mentor, and uh, he just kind of it just seemed like the Niners' defense knew exactly what Lafleur wanted to do, and just had the right call against whatever he was going to call uh, in, in critical situations. And on the other side, you know, when you think you have one of Shanahan's concepts figured out. You think you got it defended. There's just a, like, he'll throw in a little wrinkle in there and, and it just blows the play wide open. Like uh, that long, <laughs> that long touch that 60 yard touchdown to George Kittle. Uh, you know, it, it was a play action. Kittle had a corner yeah. route or, you know, they might call that a wide banana in um, West coast terminology, right. but instead of running the corner, now he runs a corner post and the safety completely bit on the corner and nobody was there. Uh, no, nobody was there on a post. So, I mean, for a defender, that's got to be frustrating. I mean, you know, you're a linebacker. Imagine, you know, imagine thinking like, all right, I got this play sniffed out. I've been watching film. I see, I see this play. I got it sniffed <laughs> out. And all of a sudden, they hit you with a yeah. counter. You know, that's frustrating. Yeah, it's actually happened to me before. I go back to, I think, Monday Night Football. Uh, Raiders playing against the Denver Broncos. And, um, you know, I think it's the first game of the season. And I remember, you know, going against the Denver, they were just, you know, a big stretch team, stretch team. And we always – Was that with Mike Shanahan? With stretched – I think it was Shanahan, I believe. It was like at the end of Shanahan uh, to where you handed – he would they would hand the ball off. 
hand the ball off, hand the ball off. And then when he ran the play action, it was the tight end just dragging across. So here I am, Ted. I'm like, I'm, I'm on top of it. Just because all week long, I repped it. I practiced it. Be, you know, watching what I call high hat, right? High hat is, you know, the offensive line. When I see their their helmets go straight up, then I mean, I can go react to the pass as soon as possible. Their helmets are straight, you know, and kind of staying on their target. Then I, I know that they're going to be run blocking. So I got to get ready for the run. Well, anyway, watching that game, um, you know, I saw high hat and I'm like, oh, yeah. So I get into my run, right? Get into my running, and I'm ready to go. I I, I got this because I know they're going to run the over route. But instead of the over route, he did an over and up, and he went right in through the middle of the field, and there was nobody there, like literally nobody there. And that that after that, I mean, we ended up getting him down. He didn't score. But I had never seen that play. I was always, okay, I know. And I beat him to the spot. That's the crazy part. I was like, oh, I got this. And I worked my angles. And I had beat him to the spot. And then yet he converted it to a to a go route in the middle of the field. And boom, the rest is history. Man, it just looks really, really bad. Oh, man. I think they call that the uh, leak route in um, Shanahan's playbook. Yeah. And now everybody's doing that. Um, everybody's using that play now. So it's uh, – a it's definitely spread around the league, but uh, but you got to have the right tight end yeah, running. No, though, for sure. Right? And, and, George Kittle is the right yep. tight end who could sell the over and then put a foot in the ground and then go up and go vertical. And that's all it is. Just a, it's a a guy going vertical, and I sure as heck missed that one. That was uh, a couple games I want to preview, and then I'll just throw just a little bit. Uh, I mean, there's just review on this, but just just the just quickly on the Rams. And, and the uh, the Ravens, since I was there on Monday Night Football, Ted, I would just say this. The one thing that I love, and like you mentioned, we get a chance to see it again this week as the Ravens will take on the 49ers. They do some real cool stuff, stuff that's real interesting. I know um, Greg's always been creative with that stuff and um, the tools he has with it, along with the tight ends that they have and how physical they are. It's I got a pretty good idea how it's going to look, and that's what we're going to be looking at here over the next day and a half. And I enjoy looking at how impressive it is in the scheme, but it's not going to be that fun thinking of how to stop it. So it's just a commitment to Lamar Jackson. It's it's there, and just there the way that they're running the football is is <laughs> it's just weird to say. It truly is because I've never seen so much of the way that they're doing it is not your normal way of doing it. So, you know what? I'm just going to roll this over, Ted, into let's just start go to our previews for week number 13 because that's one of our first preview games is going to be the 49ers traveling to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. And so as I'm kind of wrapping it up week number 12 and we're going into week 13, I think it all ties in because what I saw – from Lamar Jackson in this offense is they changed the gaps up. They did a good job of pushing Aaron Donald away, pushing Clay Matthews and all these guys, making them think. And I thought Sean McVay, head coach of the Rams, said it best, right? It's they try to set up a little chaos before the play, right? They make you have to think a little bit more. And they don't have to do it by like motions and shifts and all that. I saw a situation, Ted, where they had they go 22 personnel, but it could be 13, just depending on how you want to call it, because it's two backs, two, two backs, two tight ends. But the fullback is almost like an H, more so like a tight end on the line. So I almost sometimes can call him a actual tight end 
and one back. But they go unbalanced. They go tight end, guard, then they'll go center, and then go guard, tackle, tackle, tight end, and then the uh, fullback, H-back, or whatever. And at first glance, it doesn't. you don't catch it necessarily when you're just watching the game. But when you're looking at the game and reviewing it, I'm like, oh, wow, they – have just changed the the line of scrimmage. They've changed, you know, just the, how it looks. And I think we're going to see some of that. And how does Robert Sala and his group handle that? Because they're going to push Joey Bosa. I'm sorry, Joey, Nick Bosa. They're going to put him in some situations where it won't be advantageous for them rushing the passer because they try to create short edges. I just saw a lot from this Baltimore offense that I, that I just didn't I – didn't, I didn't see watching it before. But when you watch it, like, up close, you're like – Man, that's actually pretty neat because what they're doing is just shortening the corner. They don't have a traditional set. They have a set in which everyone has a job to do, and you can shorten your corner or you can you know, extend the corner a little bit. And that's what I saw, and that's what the, the 49ers have to do this weekend is just handle those checks, handle those corrections, handle those alignments because I think that's how they get so many teams is that guys get out of alignment, and then boom, there's the 60-yard touchdown for the guy who should have been in, his, in, in, in the hole. Yeah, and, and that's the difficult part because you, you don't see stuff like that every week. So, you know, you really have to study and, and hone in on that kind of stuff to just line up correctly. Um, because this Ravens offense is so hard to stop because, one, you have to line up correctly against these formations and uh, motions and shifts that you don't typically see. And then, two, you have to beat that offensive line. And that they have a very, very strong offensive line with Yonda and – Orlando Brown and and Staley, that's not an easy line to to defeat uh, as far as your defensive line. And three, you have to play assignment football, and that's difficult because NFL teams don't really play assignment football because they, you know, they, they, that's not what they're used to doing. And then four, you have to t- tackle Lamar Jackson. So you, you have all those elements working together, and you, if you don't get it straight, then you, you know you, you might give up two hundred yards on the ground. Uh, so the Niners definitely have the defensive line to be able to uh, match up against this Ravens defensive line. And they have some good team speed with uh, Fred Warner back there and some good uh, runs, run stuffing safeties like Tart and Ward. Uh, so th- they have the players to, to match up against the Ravens. But like you mentioned, it's, it's going to be uh, how hard they study this, uh, how, how Robert Sala crafts this game plan. To, uh, to to defeat the Ravens, uh, so it, it's going to be a, a big mental battle for sure. And then on top of all of that, you got to tackle Lamar Jackson. Wow, it is so. Uh, kind of, if I ask you just one thing about this game, just one thing, if the 49ers can do one thing to win this game, what would that one thing be? One thing to, I, th- I. Th- I mean, it just seems it seems obvious, but you gotta make Lamar Jackson pass the ball, and, and he's been able to to win passing the ball. Uh, but if he beats you in the air, uh, then you can live with that. But if he's running for you know two hundred yards on you, if he's running for near hundred yards on you, uh, then you know there's just no way you're gonna win. But if he beats you in the air, and he he can beat Richard Sherman, he can beat. Witherspoon, uh, by passing the ball, then you just have to live with that. 
Yeah, if there's one thing uh, for the Ravens that they need to get done to beat the 49ers, um, I would have to say it's is trying to create more pressure um, defensively on the quarterback. I think I want to see this team, the Ravens, if they're going to ask me, hey, what's one thing you want to see? I want to see them put Jimmy Garoppolo under duress, force Jimmy to have to make some quick decisions, have to get rid of the football quickly. And because you do, like you mentioned, you got some still banged up along the offensive line. And I think that's how the Ravens can have a chance at winning this game. So I think we got you know one thing from each team on how they can win. So I think it's pressure from Baltimore. And like you mentioned, uh, San Francisco, it's just about tackling. They, they got to tackle well. If they tackle well, then they should be fine. Uh, next Monday night, though, Ted, we do have a big matchup. Now, the two current wildcard teams in the NFC, the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Seattle Seahawks. This is a huge game for both of us. We know, we know the stakes. Everybody knows the stakes. Um, Monday night, basically, we're going to be in Seattle. You got to lift these kind of moments. You know, right now, uh, as you look at this game, um, I, I, I like Seattle. I think Seattle had played well last week in a game pretty not a lot of people watch, but they got a good performance from Rashad Penny, the running back, um, which helped them. And we cannot forget that as great as Russell Wilson is, this still is a running football team. That is still their identity. And so that is going to be the chess match, I think, in this week's uh, game against Mike Zimmer and his team is because they, they got to stop the run. They, if, they, if they stop the run, then... You know what? I think now you're forcing DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, Josh Gordon, those guys that have to make plays consistently. But if you're allowing them to run the football with Carson and then also now with Rashad Penny, it just gives way too many options for a guy like, you know, Russell Wilson. Just too many options because he can check you into the right play, but he can also throw you into the right play as well. Yeah. And you know, Lamar is playing so well that it's it's tough it's easy to forget what Russell Wilson is doing uh, too. Um, and the Vikings are having, they have some trouble at, at, at cornerback right now. And, uh, and if Josh Gordon to get in rhythm and if Tyler Lockett is, is, is playing at a high level and uh, they get met Metcalf some one-on-ones uh, the Seahawks might be, able to have, might be able to have a, a big game offensively. And then uh, their defense has played so much better with, Condre, uh with Diggs at playing free safety. They just didn't have that that middle safety, and and now Diggs really has solidified that spot for them, and, and their defense looks so much better. Uh, so it's going to be a real test for uh, Kirk Cousins, who has been playing well as, as of late. Uh, but I think I'm going to have – I got Seattle pulling this one out. Yeah, I think I got Seattle as well. I think Seattle is going to pull this one out, and um, a lot of it really has to do with them being at home too. When those 12s are going, that's a – that's a, always a, a fun place if you're a Seattle Seahawks player, but I hated it as a guy coming on the road because you just could not hear anything. Is that the loudest stadium uh, or last game? No, loudest, loudest stadium in the league is still Kansas City. That place is just, it gets loud. And and I always kind of have a, you know, a uh, kind of allegiance to that one a little bit too, a kind of biased opinion because Kansas City is playing against them in that division. And then I've always held it against Seattle since they piped in the crowd. Oh, always, remember, they got in <laughs> trouble for that. And so ever since then, I always say it's artificial. It's not real. Where I know Kansas City, that thing is it's deafening. Um, 
but our last game to preview before we uh, you know do rapid fire on some other games uh, for Week 13: Texans, Patriots, and I think quickly on this one, Ted. Um, you know, it's, it's the Patriots, and right now we're going to see DeAndre Hopkins going against Stephon Gilmore. That's going to be a great matchup. It's a team we played before, but it's been a while, and I think their makeup's a little bit different than what it was the last time we played them. You know, a year and a half ago. So we'll get ready to go, and you know, I'm sure it'll be a you know very competitive game and, and a great environment down there. I'm sure, the place will be you know lit up, and we'll need to play our best game. But can Tom Brady get this offense going back? This last couple of weeks, he's been frustrated. The offense has not been playing well. And I know we're still in the season, the regular season. And to me, they're still trying to find that perfect game. They have not found it. They're hoping to get to it. But does it concern you the way that this offense has played for New England? Um, or is it just, just that's what happens and it, there'll be a different team come to playoffs? Uh, it concerns me a little bit, but just with how well their defense and special teams are playing, I don't think they need mm-hmm. uh, their offense to be explosive as they used to be. And right now they're pretty banged up. Uh, Mohamed Sanu was inactive. Philip Dorsett was inactive last game. Uh, so I, I think they'll they'll get get it straight. And I think when they need Brady to be clutch, he'll be clutch. So I'm not too concerned about about them. Uh, I think this would be an interesting game because obviously we saw how New England struggled with uh, Lamar Jackson, and now they're going to have to face another mobile quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Obviously, um, they don't, you know, the Texans don't do what the Ravens do, uh, but but they, you know, with how much man New England wants to play, it's tough to do that against uh, a guy that could escape the pocket and and make run for some yards, especially when they have two uh, two guys in DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller who could uh, really beat you deep. Uh, so this this is going to be an interesting matchup, and uh, right now the, the Texans and Colts are kind of pretty close as far as the playoff race, so this has some playoff implications. Uh, but I, I would say the Patriots will probably pull, win this one. Yeah, I think the Patriots win, but Ted, just think back September 24th, 2017. That was actually the first time that we had a chance to see Deshaun Watson take on these uh, New England uh, Patriots when he was a member, you know, obviously of the Texans. And this is the kind of his coming out party. He went 22 of 33 that day, 301 yards, two touchdowns. And the Texans that year, they lost to the Patriots by three. But that was sort of his coming out party. If there's anybody who's not afraid of the moment, I think it is Lamar Jackson. And he's just wants to go out there and I think compete at the highest level. And for me, I think that's what's going to be fun about it is him going and playing against the team where I really felt like he got his first recognition of Okay, this dude's different. This dude can play in this league. So, the the Patriots have a scheme for him. I mean, we're gonna see if he can get uh, you know kind of make a couple plays and get through it and find a way to get his team a victory. For more exclusive NFL content, including players to watch, go to theathletic.com/slash/run-the-film for a free seven-day trial and forty percent off subscription.